Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 75 of the Spoiler Cast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm joined by Allie. Hello. Bera. Hey, everybody. And Tristan. No wacky voice antics this time. Sorry, yeah. everybody. <laughs> oh, that was great. Uh, Although I, you are a lovely shade of purple, or is that puce? Yeah. Tristan, you're coming in a little purple right now. <laughs> a little purple? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm some sort of weird color that can't actually be described. <laughs> uh, the Spoiler Cast is your show where we've experienced something, whether it's a movie, a game, um, television show, something else. Um, we've seen it, experienced it. We want to talk about it in full, all spoilers. Uh, today's episode, we are switching gears. Uh, we've done a couple games. We're switching gears to um, Color Out of Space. Uh, 2019 film directed by Richard Stanley. Uh, the original story is why I won't drink any water from the Quabbin Reservoir knowingly. Yes, mm-hmm. the original story by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Um, in which History's sec- most racist nerd. Yes, seriously. Uh, in which a secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. Oh, very much the world. That's that's Lovecraft in a nutshell. It'll just take its sweet time murdering us all. Well, again, full spoilers. We're going to go into it. So if you don't want to be uh, spoiled, it's just a movie. It's less than two hours long. Go watch it. Uh, it is a cosmic horror. It's got horror. Nick Cage! It's got Nick Cage. Um, alrighty. Tristan, you, you kind of had the floor, so let's just jump over to you and get your thoughts on Color Out of Space. All right, so before we talk Color Out of Space, specifically, um, I just want to talk sort of Lovecraftian horror in kind of a nutshell. Um, And it is... Lovecraftian horror is a very hard thing to translate to the screen. And it's also kind of hard to translate to to the modern era... Uh, because when Lovecraft was writing, the world was much more religious. And a lot of the horror from his works comes from the idea that there is not a benevolent god looking out for you. No, the gods that are, exist are insane, have no love for you whatsoever, are possibly dead but dreaming, and when they come back will ruin everything. And now we know that to be true, so yes, it's not horrific uh, anymore. Exactly. We've dealt with that. Um, Colorado Space, however, is a much smaller story than some of his others. And the original work actually focuses on more of an outside perspective. Whereas this about what's happened to this farm and these people. Whereas the movie takes a very sort of first person aspect and the family and everything that they go through is very much tightly focused in um the story is also a little different in terms of the ending than the movie um interesting which i'm which i'm sure we'll get into now I, so you've you've read the story has anybody else here read the story the original mm-hmm. I've, I've read the story um i remember it in pretty like broad strokes uh i didn't actually remember it being that different uh mainly that like it's just like that the color that basically that he saw like from what i remember in the story that like 
basically he goes to this place, there's a lot of horrible stuff, and then like the color just like shoots up back into back into space. Um, but he sees like something going back down into the well, which is why he won't drink the water. Um, right. So that was one key difference later is in the so in, in the story the color leaves the well. But it's it's kind of hinted or known that it left something behind in the well. And then they flood the area to make the reservoir. And there's still something left behind. And that's why I will never drink any water knowingly from the Quabbin Reservoir. Um, the because, key um, difference... It should be noted, though, that this takes place in New England and Lovecraft was from Rhode Island. Oh, yes. Mm. They fully reference Miskatonic so. and Innsmouth, even. Uh, there's a lot of love into this, which we will get into. Miskatonic, um, and to, Miskatonic is essentially um, uh, a stand-in for, for Amherst. Yep. Uh, it's it, yeah. Um, I think another thing, uh, just since you know, I think to throw logic into it too, that I think should be kept in mind is that like H.P. Lovecraft was one of the best writers of horror and science fiction of all time, and he has had immense influence. But one thing that you also can't really divorce from his great work, um, and it shall just be acknowledged as um, as decent people too, is that like you know, H.P. Lovecraft was also a pretty virulent racist and anti-Semite. Uh, like I yeah. said, was... history's most racist nerd. Yeah, he uh, he was super racist. Now, Incredible. in context, this is also in the 1900s when casual racism was much more socially acceptable. But he was far. But even in the time period, he was somebody yep. who was just like, where like, for instance, H.P. Lovecraft had a Jewish wife, and he would like. He lived with her for a time. They got divorced, but when they lived, they lived in New York City, and he was just, like, disgusted by living in New York, the multicultural New York City. Yes. And uh, he also, his wife had to constantly remind him, like, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm Jewish and such. Uh, Wait, also, his wife was Jewish? I had no idea. His wife was Jewish and a fox. And when people talked about H.P. Lovecraft being asexual, she was like, no, that that's not true. We had sex. Good uh, lord. Yes, so, yes. Um, but they divorced, so and then still, he went back to living in Rhoda in Providence. Yeah, it is still it is still referenced that he was very, at least, at least publicly, he was still very anti um, anti intimacy. At least, he was also raised by his very abusive aunt after his dad was committed to an insane asylum. Um, his cat is very famously named, but it's also important to remember that his cat was named when he was eight. When I was that old, I had a gerbil I named after myself. I don't know. I think there's a big difference between naming there your is. gerbil after yourself versus naming your cat the N-word. There <laughs> is. Unless Tristan, and, do you have a, some a, deep dark secrets you need no. to tell I was say us a, now. Slight, a slight difference. No. I, I have met Tristan's parents. They would be horrified if he did that. Oh, they would be super also, horrified. I just want to say Tristan like the, the gerbil sounds people. like a great pet, and I wish I could have met him. Me too. Um, it's your furry. And by son. the end of his life, he was at least somewhat apologetic, realizing that, like, like near the end of his life, he looked back and was like. I had a up childhood, 
I was raised by a super racist. And I said a lot of things that are in context not very good. Again, this is at the end of his life. But, you know, deathbed concessions and all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's another thing, too, to also keep in mind, which doesn't... While it doesn't excuse Lovecraft's racism, I think it also puts in the context of it, like... Lovecraft, you know, and, and this also, I feel like, it sounds cheaper than it is because a lot of people like to, who, of bad faith, like to put the thing of like, oh, I just hate everybody, or oh, I, I just try to offend everybody equally, and that's fucking lame. But when you read Lovecraft's stories, it's pretty clear that he is just terrified and disgusted by not Humanity. just racial minorities, but well, basically, like, anybody who is not a wasp from New England, like, the Innsmouth is essentially New Bedford. Like he is Innsmouth a, is New Bedford. Yes, he is disgusted by Portuguese fishermen. When he describes Western Massachusetts, he is describing it as basically this inbred, dark, hilly thing. Like this is this is just like this is this is the Happy Valley. And it's just like ah, which is where he sets um, the color out of space. It's just like yeah. he is terrified by rural white people. He is terrified by the Portuguese. He is terrified by. You know, by oh, by, yeah. by pretty much by any racial minority, it's and again, this does not make this good, but it does make it so it's like you see in this right. context that he is someone context, who is just disgusted. Is important. Also, a lot of stuff he wrote about were things he saw in his nightmares. He was not a mentally stable individual. No, he was. Uh... I'm just going to be colloquial and say extremely unhinged. <laughs> yes. And um, one of the cool things about this movie, to put back into it, is is that um, uh, the main character um, is a black man. And not just yeah. any, any black man, but a handsome love interest black man who is... Uh, who College is like educated. A, who lives. The yes. black guy lives. Yes, he does. Very much so. Um, the fans have done a lot of work to modernize and sort of be like, yes, the original author was these things. The fandom does not have to be these things. And that's right. the thing I think has been so amazing to come out of like his body of work just in general. And um, Dan, remind me to send you a link again for that video about control and its relation to Lovecraft. But like, such an amazing body of work has been taken by the very people he despises and had such incredible work and meaning put behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, because uh, it, weirdly enough, really speaks to people in those situations. I think it's in also, a lot of ways. Yep. I should also uh, go forward and say this now that I am recording this cast while being able to look at not one, not two, but three different Lovecraftian idols if you count plushies. Um, also important to remember is that he was also born alive and writing during the age when eugenics was also taking off and a lot of people forget that H.G. Wells was a eugenicist I believe H.G. Wells' thing was he was um, which eugenics is awful period but I yes. believe H.G. Wells' deal was he was in favor of positive eugenics, whereas that like he wanted people who he thought were quote unquote worthy, right. which is like what to fuck as opposed to like what people were practicing in real life, which is where they were sterilizing people and, and then we're, murdering. And them. we are not 
going to be taking this opportunity to get into a discussion of eugenics because holy shit, that is a pit. That's spoiler um, cast after dark where I drink several beers. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, that's not a bad. And idea then some Nazis died. <laughs> um, well, it's Moral like of the story is kids punch Nazis. Punch Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the original idea behind it was the idea of taking control of humanity's evolution. And the positive aspect of that would be, say, gene therapy to remove, like, or to prevent, like, any child from ever being born with, say, a, dis- a disfigurement or a handicapped limb or what have you. The downside of that is as soon as you say anything is um, a unwanted quote-unquote trait, you create haves and have-nots, and then from there it's just a straight slope into just... I mean, it's also I think an important thing to recognize in terms of eugenics, which again, we're not going to get fully into this. But it's really... But it's important. I mean, like, I, I'm going to pull out the card, like, you know, uh, uh, like, one of my one of my relatives was literally murdered by the Nazis for being schizophrenic. Like, I had... Jew, but before the fascists killed the Serbian or the Jewish relatives, they killed the mentally ill person first. Yep. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a good time, but, it's, uh, but um, and, you know, and again, like, I know none of us support that whatsoever. But I think that the issue a lot of times when you're getting with this, even when you're trying from like a positive thing, is like, oh, you know, it's like make sure that you know, like, is is that you get into issues of disability and getting people mm-hmm. not valuing people with disabilities as for folks or making judgments on that. And I think that that's a uh, and there's a lot of inherent danger of like you know what is worthy, what what isn't. Yeah. You know? Or yeah. like, how like, can instance, you decide if somebody is going to be able to live a good and healthy life if their body or their brain works this way? And it's like part of what makes things hard for them is people not understanding them and helping them. Right. I mean, yeah, it's like it's, see yes. people being like, "Well, I'd rather not have my child be autistic." Why? Because life is difficult, then you need to be there to support them and make the world a better place for them, and not I, I, somehow make your baby not autistic in the womb. Uh, I, it is a very sure. important discussion and thing to think about and remember, especially now that we are getting to the point where gene therapy is becoming an actual possibility. But again, that is not something <laughs> we keep saying that, and then we keep going back to it. Last, la- like last thing, the spoiler cast number seventy-five. <laughs> yeah, eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh no, we can't name our spoiler cast out of episode eugenics. That's a bad. That's a bad. Uh, yeah. Oh god. The, 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 right. There was, however, of uh, a great meme before I get back to just important. Which that that uh, my from one of my friends posted, who's also actually interesting enough, a big Lovecraft person, was saying, you know, um, uh, you know, like we're showing that, like, you know, a lot of uh, contrary to bad bad takes, that a lot of primitive societies did take care of like the disabled and the sick yes, and the elder and, and the elderly, even if they weren't economically productive. However, they did banish sociopaths to die in the wilderness because you could not have a functioning society that way. Right, which is what we're starting to learn here with capitalism. Anywho. Um, Back to to our handsome hero in the Colorado space. Oh, God, I love him. For historic context as to this story, the sort of background story of the Colorado space revolves around 
a company that is buying up farmland to block off and then flood to create a reservoir. This is the real life story of how the Quabbin Reservoir in Massachusetts came to be. There are, if I think there still are, I don't think there have been any expeditions, but um, there used to be, or still are, actually abandoned buildings at the bottom of the Quabbin Reservoir. Because they, the state bought up all of this land and then flooded that land to create the reservoir. Which is where our main character for the Colorado space, at least according to all of you guys, comes in. Is that he is a... Um, what's the proper term? A water treatment expert or hydrologist? Uh, he said hydrologist yeah, in the film. He said hydrologist. Um, who has come into the area in order to take groundwater readings in preparation for this purchasing, flooding, and reservoir creation. I have talked a lot, and so I am now going to hand off to everyone else to take it <laughs> well, from here. We, we've all talked a lot, let's be real. Uh, a little Dan. too much about eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, uh, what, what, what were your thoughts about the movie? Yeah, so I, I was gonna. I'm a. Um, I'm the least Lovecraft person here, I suppose. I've never. By by that I mean I've never read any of his stories. Um, I'm familiar with some of the higher concepts of his um, cosmicism. Is that the right word? Cosmology. Uh, cosmology. Um, but. For me, I'm pretty much an outsider, so I came into this pretty green. Um, and I'm also not somebody who watches a lot of horror movies, so I was really, I was really green um, to this. But I enjoy me some Nick Cage, <laughs> and I enjoy me some time hanging out with friends, watching movies, uh, mm-hmm. whether virtually or or physically. So, um, so I, I jumped in, and I had a good time um, with, with the movie. Uh, it definitely went went quickly and i i quite enjoyed it um and it was it was interesting <laughs> i don't really know do what you want to try uh, some llama milk now yeah sorry alpaca milk <laughs> yeah uh, no no straight thank you. from the teat no thank you um <laughs> so that's my perspective um i i will say one thing that did jump out at me is the visual effects in this movie were like I I, th- I thought were like sci-fi channel original movie bad. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, well, here, well, that makes thing. me is sad. That, is that <laughs> I had like the opposite oh, really? feeling about them. I appreciated that they didn't make this movie black and white with the with the titular titular color out of space being the only thing that was color because that would let, be the lazy way of doing it. Um, let me let me refine my last comment. I enjoyed the use of color. And I enjoyed the physical effects. The there were some computer effects that were okay. Yeah, I thought were really were really yeah. cheesy. Um, I think that's par for the course, like from the director and this kind of story that yeah. they're telling, though, because yeah. like it's um, if you don't mind me stepping in, Dan, it's yeah. such a I think a good balance of cheesy and 
actually serious in a lot yeah. of ways. And uh, one thing I really want to talk about in particular is Nick Cage's performance, because I know a lot of times people view him as an actor who's not good because he's so over the top. But honestly, he's the kind of person you want in this kind of story. Mm -hmm. Same with uh, the last feature film he was in, Mandy, because he brings so much... Like, he really gets into a role in a way that I think makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I think I had mentioned this to you guys when we had watched the film. When I saw Mandy, there's a scene where he's crying because... Uh, spoiler alert, some very bad things just happened to him and his wife and he's like sobbing his eyes out like sitting in his underwear drunk in the bathroom and there were people laughing during this scene and on the one hand I'm like, maybe they just think it's funny because they're weird but also people deal with sadness in weird ways, but I think the thing I really appreciate him about him as an actor is he's a male actor who's not afraid to show emotion Mm -hmm. which I think is such a rare quality in a lot of actors these days. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think I, I, I had that reaction. I mean, you got to all hear me in the microphone while we were watching it. I had a very laughy reaction to some of those moments, I think. It's like mm-hmm. a, it's like my mechanism for nervousness um, <laughs> is, is laughter. Um, but I think, but I agree. I think that's right. Like me, I wasn't necessarily laughing with or against. It was just like, a, I, I think a testament to the acting job. Yeah, I um, think and, like, it's sort of that thing of like, if you saw somebody crying in public, like, your reaction isn't always to go over and say, oh, I'm so sorry, what's wrong? You, you kind of, you're you kind of stunned, and you may even, like, laugh a little bit. Not, like, in a callous way, but just in a, wow, this is so uncomfortable, I have no idea what the fuck to do. Right. Because this is just such raw human emotion in front of me. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, the other thing I want to unpack, and maybe I'll switch it, maybe I'll use this as an opportunity to swing it over to Barra is um, Tristan you, you 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 made a very specific comment earlier when you said some people think the main character is I think his name is um, Ward in the movie uh-huh. some mm-hmm. people some people think <laughs> the main character is Ward one thing I think is interesting about this movie is that there really there, there really could be a few different main characters I feel like yes um, like I don't, I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily see Ward as the main character. I almost more saw um, um, Lavinia as the main the character. The daughter. That's the feeling I had yeah. too. Was Lavinia was really our like, like big focus, like main character. And then as things start to go downward, it turns to being Ward, who's the main character. Nice. Which but Bear, is, but Bear, uh, who did you think was the, who did you feel was the main character? I mean, I feel it was a, it was a movie where. Um, uh, I do think Lavinia was probably the main character, but there was also a lot of um, there was a lot of focus on uh, the on the on the on the scientist as well, and also uh, the um, Nicholas Cage. I think that in terms of screenplay and like overall plot, like probably Lavinia. But I think that to me, what was interesting about this movie is was really an examination of a family mm-hmm. and how this family uh, both was dysfunctional and then how it was ultimately destroyed by this thing. I won't say it was really destroyed by its own dysfunctions, but rather this create this uh, this alien force coming out of the sky caused its dysfunctions to destroy it, if that makes sense. 
Um, like it wasn't inevitable that they would destroy themselves, but when they were then this magical, when this like you know weird cosmic force was upon them, the way that you know, they were destroyed was through their own flaws that were already apparent, living in this like little isolated farmhouse where you know mom is just like she's she's the bre- she's the breadwinner, but dealing with her her cancer diagnosis, um, his <laughs> dad is a bad cook and kind of a failure in many different ways. Um, and uh, daughter just needs to get out of the house and leave. Son smokes too much pot. And kid is just a lonely little boy who dies. And it's awful. I want to point out, um, and maybe this is just because I saw these movies. I rewatched this movie pretty recently after I watched The Witch. But there are a lot of similarities in the family makeup to The Witch and how... They both take, sort of as their central character, this female member of the family who's totally ostracized by everybody else in her family. Mm. Like, you have both the dads are failures in some aspect. Both the moms are, like, just completely, like... One, you have, I think, Teresa in Color Out of Space, who's just had her mastectomy and, like, her cancer diagnosis. And then the other mom from The Witch is just, like... I mean, they're both very similar in a vein of, like, I fucking hate it out here living in bumfuck nowhere. This is awful. And then you have the other siblings, and they all kind of turn at one point on that older daughter, saying, like, we don't know why, but this is your fault, and we're taking all our frustrations out on you. Mm. Mm. I think it also helps that, you know, the monomyth, you have sort of that fish-out-of-water character that you can relate to who's kind of yeah. experiencing it, and I think she fits that mold really well. I still haven't seen The Witch. Um, next time, we're going to talk about The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. and which is the same director of The Witch, but I I will say that seeing that a couple times now has gotten me inspired to go back and watch it, so I'll probably oh, do that. Oh, The Witch is amazing, Dan, and I'm sorry, you will get spooped. That's all right. <laughs> the Witch you will get spooped. spooped. I'll hold your hand virtually if you need so, me to. So, okay. Dan, as a, uh, as a horror movie person... Um, the Kalara Space is a good is a good horror movie. Um, so mm-hmm. is The Lighthouse. Um, the Witch is a great horror movie. It's one of the better horror movies I've ever seen, and uh, it's very very good. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I would highly recommend at some point you watch it, and anyone else who's listening to this should watch it because it's a it is one. Of, it's also an incredibly effective movie that does a lot with very little it's just like a small cast very few special effects uh and the and pacing is tight like tight pacing and also just like being creative and going a different way. i mean like you know there's a lot of different interpretations in the witch but one of the cool things is is that it really like digs into the horror of what a calvinist worldview would be like um if like if you know the if uh, the if being Da- not having control over whether you're saved or damned for all eternity is a very real thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's very... The, it's... The, some horror movies do things by doing creative gore. Um, this is something that very much makes its, makes its bones by just, like, going with with a concept and then just having strong actors just, like, go at it. Nice. Well, I'm more excited than ever to see it. So thanks. Hell yeah. Thanks, y'all. 
Returning um, to the color out of space. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, so we keep uh, on so, getting no, distracted well, from this well, movie. So, I would, well, the, so the, from the conversation we just had, the, the one thing that was interesting to me about it is obviously color out of space was written in Lovecraft's time. And I, I thought it was interesting that the any any conceit that was more modern was like just kind of made null and void like it was interesting like when Lovecraft wrote the story like there weren't any of the escape escapes that these people had like mm-hmm. cutting off their cell phone not having access to their television whatever it was um all those things didn't exist <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, anyway. I just want to touch really quick on Ward as a character mm-hmm. um, he, because he fills a quintessential role in Lovecraftian horror in that he is the character who survives and is permanently scarred by his by his survival basically Interesting. It, it is a character that recurrently shows up in Lovecraft is User is this character who has survived the initial horror, but their life has forever been altered or tainted, or they are doomed because of the circumstance. Um, one thing I wish this movie had done, and this is a very, very good adaptation of a Lovecraft story to, to film, which again is not an easy thing to do. I w- wish this story had done the movie had done a little bit more on the concept of cancer Mm. because the original story and how the color operates in that original story is very much an allegory for a for for cancer in the original story what what the color does is it lands and gets into the groundwater and it starts affecting everything that touches that groundwater in the original story what it does is it causes everything it affects to grow out of control to grow large to grow crazy to grow colorful and bright and alien and different but what's different in the book is that basically the way the color works is it pushes everything to grow as much as it possibly can and to use up all of its natural resources to grow and then it sucks all of the life all of the color all of the energy out of everything it has affected to feed itself leaving everything behind as a gray colorless ashy disintegrating nothing I guess that's what we got in the end with the uh with the ending with Ward coming out from the basement, though, right? That is kind of what we got. In the original story, they go back. The the, the people who survive go back to the farm. Because we don't... In the original story, we don't see this from the farmer's point of view. We see it from the outside point of view. Mm-hmm. They go back in, and everything is still there. Quote-unquote. But it has had all of the color leached out of it. And it's like mm. like, like the trees are still there. But as soon oh, as I see. So, like in the end of the film, it's like kind of—I don't know. It almost seemed like a fire went off, yes. or like it was bombed. Whereas in the book, it's like stuff is still there. It's just like gray. Looks like the lighthouse. 
Right. Where <laughs> in the original story, it's like the trees are still there, but if you touch the tree, it will collapse into ash and dust. Oh, interesting. Um, whereas in the movie, at the end, the color leaves and just sort of leaves devastation. Right. And just destroys everything. In its wake. Yeah. But it leaves a bit of itself behind. Uh, in in the movie, those things are still there. But it's like a cancerous growth has just been excised, and there's nothing but dead tissue left. Interesting. And Although, actually, now that um, we've gone down this path, it makes me think, you know, how in the end of the film, there's that one little bit right at the end where you see it almost looks like an orchid mantis kind of fluttering by mm-hmm. on the screen. It's like, yep. you know, a lot of times when you do try to fight cancer, it's it just comes back eventually. Oh, yeah. That, again, that's what the original story sort of touches on, because at the end, the color leaves, but there's still something left down in the well. God, that's fucking terrifying. And then you, and then you flood the area, but it's still there. It's still in the well. It's still in the water, just sitting there, waiting, taking its time, slowly spreading through the water supply because it left something behind. You didn't get all of it. That is the horror of The Color Out of Space, (laughs) the original story. And it is very much an allegory for cancer. And considering they had a primary character who was a cancer survivor in this... I was a little disappointed they didn't super push hard for that on that in the movie. But for someone who has read the original work, I appreciated it greatly. I can almost see. And now see... I'm going to get off my soapbox. No, it's these are the these are the things I like talking about, Tristan. This is the shit I'm here for. It almost makes me wonder though if if they had pointed that out more, it would have been too beating you over yeah. the head with that information. Mm. I would agree with that, I think. I still think going too too hard on it, yeah, I agree, would have been over the head, but I feel like I feel like there could have been a, like a shade more. Like, could have, like, if you took the, the sort of like, if we're talking about, like, Levels in a Photoshop or, or layers in a Photoshop document. I feel like that layer could have had its opacity turned up just a smidge more. Well, something I thought was interesting about this movie in terms of the way they dealt with the horror and also how they got around the whole thing of like, this is the modern day. These people have act. There's 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 cars. There's cell phones. Um, there's the internet. Is uh, they really they didn't just do the whole thing of like, oh, this is messing around with signals, which they did. But more than that, they played around with the concept of how the characters were experiencing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, people would just get lost in this movie. And then, like, they were in one place, well, elsewhere, and then, like, they just... Then it was just, like, it was day one <laughs> moment, then night the other. And I think that that was kind of helped to build up the feeling that, like, you know, you can't escape. As is that, uh, but, or that the, you know, because... Lavinia tries her best to get out, and she almost mm-hmm. succeeds. But uh, in the end, she's just like overwhelmed by the color, just like everybody else is. Yeah. Well, it's almost I think in you know in the end she's there on the porch with her dad dying in her arms, and Ward says, you know, 
we need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. And she goes, I can't leave. I live here. Like, it's that thing of, I think you were, guys were mentioning earlier, like, the family's kind of their own downfall in a way. Like, I can't, I can't leave because they're my family. Like, I can't do that to them. And then, of what course, kind of person that would that make Nic- me be if I abandoned my family? Well, then there's that Nicolas Cage line where, like, he, uh, where he then shoots the uh, the ma the, the 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 combination of the mom and the daughter when it's uh, attacking Lavinia was like they weren't my family. It's like when previously he was just like not acknowledging that anything was different and he was calling calling um, this in pain deformed wife from who's been deformed by the things like my golden lady and it's just like yeah and I you don't even know if it was. And that, I, that really isn't even really a value judgment either way in terms of, like, you know, what, how he's reacting. It's just, like, on one hand, it's like, okay, this is normal, and the other thing is, like, he kills them. Uh, yeah. Well, and I think even then, like, in the beginning of the film, you have Teresa worrying, you know, how can you still love me? Like, she feels, you know really self-conscious about what her body has gone through and a lot of women or sorry not just women but you know people who have had mastectomies don't feel like a whole person Mm, after that kind of operation and i think that's sort of the film turning around and saying like no really in the end he was a piece of shit that didn't appreciate his wife for who she was because of her surgery and her cancer diagnosis at least that's sort of but wait, I he, think a deeper read you can get into that. But he was still like appreciative and loving of his wife. Um, I think that, but the thing is, she always had that underlying fear that he didn't, and mm-hmm. that it was just performative. And I think, honestly, there could have been some small part of him that felt that way. Mm-hmm. See, like I, to me, and again, maybe this is what what uh, my my reading of it was is that. Uh, that she was insecure about it, but, like, he was still very much attracted to her. Um, like, you know, that's, like, he was, like, he wanted for them to, like, resume having relations for, you know, for months, but she, she wasn't. I think there's also another thing, layer to that, too, because there's, like, lack of confidence because of the surgery, and also, and it's my understanding that sometimes the drugs or, like, cirrhosis can also, like, wreck your, um, or really any medical issue can just really change around your sex drive as well, too. Um, yeah. So I think that well, could have also been in play as well. It could also just be, like, you know, the color preying on Teresa's fears of that even more mm. and bringing that out in him. There's a lot of stuff in the film, too, where Nicolas Cage's character, Nathan, is like, oh, my God, I'm turning into my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. And maybe that's not something Nathan would think, but maybe that's something his dad would think, because from the sound of it, his dad was an old-fashioned piece of shit. Yep. Which, by the way, I loved all that stuff in the film where he's like, I'm not going to be like my dad, I'm not going to be like my dad. And you know that as soon as he starts acting more and more like him, it's because, like, I think one what stress does to him is he basically turns into his dad because there's lots of scenes early on where he's drinking whiskey like mm-hmm. his father. And two, it's the color getting to him. Yeah. Also, those poor llamas. Those poor fucking alpacas. <laughs> poor alpacas. Yeah. Just so Spoilers, stopped... it lends very badly for the alpacas. Poor G-Spot. 
Yeah. I have to imagine that that's part of the original story. The alpacas? The alpacas? The alpacas. No. I don't think so. Oh, really? They just randomly chose... They chose alpacas because it's like the oh. lamest, yuppiest animal that you can invest yeah. too much money yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got... I very much got... Um, John Carpenter's The Thing vibes from this too. From oh the, my god. From the body yes. horror and the... Yep. And I greatly appreciate that because John Carpenter's The Thing is an amazing horror movie. You know what? Uh, I heard that the original thing, like the one prior to John Carpenter's, is also quite good. It is also not bad. I think John Carpenter just took the idea and elevated it. Oh, John Carpenter is just like a... Oh, he's awesome. He's a master. He's one of the best. And the ironic thing to me is, is that like... John Carpenter basically quit the movie business because he just like kept on getting screwed by the Hollywood studio system. And this is the man who, you know, made Halloween, They Live, uh, Starman, The Thing, like some all-time classics. Big Trouble in China, Escape from yeah, L.A., Escape from yeah. New York. And I think the ironic thing is now, you know, John Carpenter's still pretty much done with movies by choice but like now in the era of like the streaming wars and also people getting a more of appreciation for genre fiction particularly things like john carpenter with a social conscience like you know if like i i if he wanted to come back into the game i think he would be able to have like the freedom he'd always wanted to do his own vision like I could just see, like, I think if Netflix... Oh, Netflix would... Netflix they would, would open up the so Brinks vaults to be like, just do whatever the fuck you want, John Carpenter. Um, yeah. At least I, I, I hope that's it. So, so I hold out hope. I mean, because he's not... He's not to... He, he still has his brain. He still has his health. He's in his early 70s that we will see that return. Uh, but yeah, this the this color of space definitely owes a lot to that kind of John Carpenter style mm-hmm. of um, stuff from the thing. Yeah, and, and the thing is, another good example of Lovecraftian horror. Mm, yeah. In a, in a way. Um, well, that movie's incredible. That's like... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's an all-time great. The, the yeah, thing is an all-time great. great. Um, <laughs> all in all, so, it, so all in all, what I'll say is, if you are someone who is not familiar with Lovecraftian horror... This is a good movie to watch because it doesn't get into the zany um, cosmology, so to speak, of Lovecraft. It doesn't touch on the Elder Gods. It doesn't touch on Cthulhu. It doesn't touch on any of that stuff. Um, But all of the primary themes are still there. I would agree. I mean, like getting back to like the beginning of this conversation where, you know, I'm the most green to Lovecraft. I I would agree with that pretty wholeheartedly like it's it's easy to get into the themes aren't don't require knowledge of lovecraft it's like a tight story that is understandable and and entertaining and and because it follows a and because it follows a perspective because because the i'm sorry i just got off of a three-day like gaming marathon for charity i'm sorry everybody yeah Um, you did yeah i did um (laughs) But because this movie follows the perspective of the family at the farm, it is also a nice companion piece to the original story. Because the original story does not follow their perspective. It looks at the perspective of an outsider encountering all this. Basically, the, the original story is like Ward's perspective. 
Right. The movie is the family perspective. Um, which I think was an excellent choice because it lets you do sort of a fresh take on the story while not having to change everything. Um, is, is Tommy Chong's character in the original story? <laughs> not that I remember. God, I love Tommy Chong's character this oh, so he was much. Great. So he was fucking fantastic. good. Um, Tommy Chong he- is a king. Tommy Chong is a national treasure. Yes. <laughs> he uh, must be protected. This is also probably the best adaptation of Lovecraft to film that I have personally seen since the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society put out their black and white silent movie version of Call of Cthulhu. If you are unfamiliar with that movie, you should definitely check it out. Um... I think the only way you can actually watch it is to buy the DVD. There isn't even a Blu-ray. Um, wow. Wow. But it's it's that movie is so like perfectly done, like in terms of looking like something that would have been made in Lovecraft's time. Hmm. That it is a fantastic adaptation. This is an the best sort of modern take we've had on Lovecraft on an actual Lovecraft story just hands down Tristan have you seen the uh, previous Color Out of Space film adaptation by any chance I have I was not as impressed with it as I was with this one gonna be honest that's kind of the I haven't really sought it out I've mostly just read about it and that kind of seems to be the consensus most people come to yeah. Um, I've also seen the god-awful reanimator films. Less said about those, the better. <laughs> um, and then there was that... Then there was that movie um, that came out, like, a decade ago. Uh, what was it? Was it called just Cthulhu? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was called, like... Yeah, it was just, like, called, yeah, like, Cthulhu, and it had almost nothing to do, it came out in 2007, and it's, like, it's called Cthulhu, but it's more like Color Out, uh, but it's more like The Shadow Over Innsmouth, and just kind of, bleh. Like, it doesn't really... It felt like like it was trying to co-opt the Cthulhu mythos and Lovecraft, which is why I think it only earned fifteen thousand dollars total. Yikes! Yeah, um, and why it's like forty-one percent on Metacritic. Yeah. Well, this, this um, movie this movie actually didn't do, didn't do well either. I was surprised compared right. to budget. Yeah, I would, I would expect that this is like a lean little movie like this would have cleaned up. Nope. No, unfortunately Sadly not. Sadly not. Um, because this was this was super independent. I don't yeah. think this never got into theaters. No, the only... It the, was in theaters. So I, saw I saw it, it in Amherst theaters, but it was at an Alamo draft house. Yeah, so and I saw it at Emerson. So yeah, it just went, to, it went straight to the independent circuit. Yeah. Um, like, you wouldn't see this in any AMC or showcase cinemas at all um and and soon enough you'll be seeing nothing at amc theaters 
Yeah, this are way. They, are they Am going, I right, guys? Are they going Honestly, bankrupt? Honestly, I'm okay with that. Everything is, basically. Uh, yeah, um, but theaters aren't doing well, but also AMC seems intent on burning as many bridges as it can on the way out. Yeah. Wait, Universal will mean doodle heads to us. We don't like them. Wait, what did, what did AMC do? AMC got... So what happened was Trolls 2 from Universal got a digital release. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because they were like, well, we have a huge cash cow here. Let's just try releasing it digitally. And long story short, that made AMC very angry. And they said, you know what? We're not going to show Universal's films anymore. Which, considering, like, they make bank off of those movies at theaters, is kind of insane. Like, they have... The Trolls movies, the Minions, like just so much stuff in their the back movies pocket. Where they, well, the, the movies where the, the kids go to go see them. Yeah, right. because that's what earns actual cash right. money. Right, yeah. I was going to say, you and know, therefore the parents of the children. I, yeah, rem- I remember my dad taking so me to see Pokemon. Ticket sale. Yeah. No, like, no, I mean, it's, it's a real sales. thing. Like, it's all in the concessions. Right, and what the studios are learning, too, is that they can make crazy cash now. With digital distribution yeah. over theaters. Mm-hmm. Not even in just this current situation, this current uh, yep. quarantine situation, but just in general. Well, um, I think, uh, what's the thing? It either just came out or is about to. The Scooby-Doo movie that's Scooby- coming yeah. out soon mm-hmm. is doing a digital release. Yep. And yep. it's like, yeah, if I were the parent of a small screaming child, I'd rather just spend 20 bucks to watch it at home as opposed to, you know... Not seven even. at the least for a kid on a Sunday matinee, plus the price of everybody else's tickets, plus the price of food. Yeah, and not even twenty bucks to rent. Like, like if you're gonna see it once, rent it. Like six bucks, done. So, so I mean, I think that I mean, I think that our thing in terms of theater stuff though is is that um. Uh, why digital distribution hasn't happened beforehand on a massive scale is there's basically been agreements and uh, with between theaters and studios to essentially just like delay that and that has and this may be continuing to uh, to blend that or possibly even get rid of it which I don't necessarily think is the best of things because like I actually really like going to the movies um, I mean you know I'm not gonna cry for the death of AMC. But, uh, I, you know, I want at least there to always be a movie theater where I can, like, go and give them money. Uh, I'd be upset if it hurt independent theaters. Yeah. Yes. Uh, AMC, be- whatever, don't care all that much. But yeah. if it hurt things like more independent theaters, that would be pretty pretty bad. But well, I mean, here's the thing, is that we've, sp- as, like, a society, we've spent, like, two decades improving home theaters setups for a reason but um, it's still not the same like it's, it's, it's the, a giant it's screen is not the same as just like even a nice like you have to to even approximate it you have to have like a projector and a decent thing and even then it's smaller this is true um but i think we've also seen because of the rise of IMAX and 3D is we've seen a sort of lessening of importance for the standard movie theater. You know? Like, there are movies where it's like, okay, 
that is a movie you should see in IMAX because seeing it in anything less is far too lesser of an experience. But I, I think we've been seeing this sort of shift towards these specialty theaters and specialty screens anyways. I I couldn't agree more. Like for me if I'm going to go see a movie at a theater, it's because it's something I want to see big and loud at an IMAX. Exactly. Or it is something I want to see at an indie movie theater. Right. Um and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm actually like I think it's interesting to hear you guys cuz like I'm in many ways not actually the opposite like there's a great indie theater near us and I'll see it and you know if there's a 3D option for something where it makes sense to see in 3D um, I'll go I'll go watch that as well but like I watch when theaters are open I watch a lot of I, I watch a decent amount like I think I go to the movie theater it's at least once every two weeks sometimes Sometimes once a week. It's like I am probably one of like re- like Cinemark at Hampshire Mall loves me. Uh, they love me so much. <laughs> so so by comparison, you're one of the only people that goes there. Well, I mean, there's still a decent amount, but it's a college town. Um, yeah. So, so for comparison, I am a film student who works in a mall with an IMAX, and I go to the theaters maybe three times a year which is interesting because the the theater of the providence mall is quite nice when i live when i lived in uh in, in uh in providence Pawtucket, i would go to that theater quite a bit oh but in but in rhode island uh, until recently there was that really nice little theater the that showed the second run stuff for like two bucks oh yeah the one near brown that closed you closed son of a bitch now and actually currently if i'm gonna go to a movie theater i'll probably either go to the one uh in swansea because it's close to my house or if i want to splurge i'll go to the one in (laughs) dartmouth you know near new bedford uh because that one's actually really nice they've got those really nice big plush reclining seats the plush reclining seats are pretty great it's an amc yeah yeah um which movie theater went out of business? Are you talking about the like the Patriot one in Pawtucket, or are you talking about yeah. like the Avon? Oh, Patriot in Pawtucket. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a different movie theater than the one you're thinking of, Barra. Oh yeah, so it's not the one near Brown. No, that's the, Avon. No. Okay, that didn't go away. That's, no. Avon but is that's, still around, I believe. But, but that's an goodness. example of a theater that I would want to go to to see a movie and have. Like, right. Just like, like I saw like Moonrise Kingdom there. You know, like that's like a perfect. That movie is fucking perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love Moonrise Kingdom. I will defend I, Moonrise Kingdom and shoot anyone who tries to hurt it. Yeah. My other, my other big complaint with American cinema and and movie theaters is that, um, like there are a bunch of movies I would like to see internationally, and they either a never get released over here, or if they do get released in cinemas over here, it's like. We have, like, screenings for a week, one show on one screen every day, and it's like, you're showing this movie for seven days, on one screen, one show a day, and it's at the most random, bizarre-ass times. Like, like, I was lucky 
I was able to see the Kona Suba movie in theaters. Um, and that was like that was like that situation. And I, the only reason I was able to see it was I used the theater in Swansea, which almost nobody goes to. And that was the most packed I have ever seen that theater. Well, I think that you know, as time goes on, you know, like I, you know, I, mean, I am, I am not the mar- I am not Mister Trust in the Market. But, you know, broken clocks and shit. And I think that, you know, if there is a demand that what we're beginning to see with anime is, is that um, there is beginning to be a more demand for, like, anime release movies. And so I think that that's going to uh, slowly but surely, like, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot more of that. Uh, and, you know, and another thing that's also interesting, too, is that, you know, I remember when we were in college, you know, like, the only time, you know, like... There was that mid. There were just like only like the midnight movies at like Cinemark where they would be like yeah. show an old one. Now there's all these events with old movies. Um, like you know, the the theater people, you know, whether we'll say they were not is kind of up in the air. But um, they, they, they these folks aren't dumb. They know if they sh- put Back to the Future or Drive on, people will fucking go and go see it. Um, yeah, I've been trying to do Alamo Draft House so much. They're like okay. theming for every month in their movie clubs is just absolutely amazing. I finally got to see uh, the Japanese horror movie Hausu because they were doing a big like you know Halloween mm-hmm. event a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, never yeah. would have thought I could have seen that in a theater. Is there an Alamo Draft House in Virginia? Mm-hmm. There's two actually. Oh wow. I did not know that. That's fantastic. I hear their I food is great. I love that theater so much. Is the food good? The food's so good. Kind of overpriced, but good. Also, when I went and saw... Um, the thing that I also like is sometimes they do kind of gimmicky, like, food inspired by movie. Mm. And they had, like, a drink for Mandy that was basically just a bunch of liquor mushed together <laughs> and mac and cheese. And it was great. But, that's, but that that's, in my opinion, is what the the movie-going experience should be. It should be an event like that, you know? And I just wish we could get more of those nice, niche, sort of curated Mm -hmm. cinemas. Or like when I saw Color Out of Space there, they showed an interview with Richard Stanley Mm -hmm. and uh, a bunch of the actors from Color Out of Space, which is why I found out, you know, the two older teen uh, children, a lot of their dialogue was ad-libbed. Yeah. Which, which works because you can, if you don't have siblings you cannot write authentic dialogue between two siblings and even if you have siblings the dialogue you write is specific to you and your siblings so it's so good so many of their back and forth were just like wow that's probably yeah. the way I talk to my brother sometimes because it's weird I have siblings are weird <laughs> siblings are weird you develop a language all your own um, when I saw the Konosuba movie, they it started with an interview between uh, two of the voice actors, mm. and I think that that's that cinemas like like that, like the Alamo a- and stuff, they're going to be the ones to survive this because they offer a situation vastly different than what you can just get in your house, and movies that you may not necessarily be able to get just in your house. Mm. I really hope that's the case. Again, like whatever yeah. boohoo AMC, but if it if this affects little theaters too, that's where I'll be sad. That's where I'll be sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want them. To one go. of the other things, though, is is that a number of like these small theaters that remain, like I'm thinking about the State Theater in Deposit, New York, where I grew up, and uh, you know the and 
uh, Amherst Cinema is, is that like these are nonprofits. These are things that are already mm-hmm. designed to basically, you know, be folk to to you know, they they're already designed with a like this is a public good that we're keeping in our town. Like we're a small town and we're keeping the theater. Or in the case of Amherst Cinema, we're taking a place where you can see independent and weird movies like The Color Out of Space. And uh, also like Academy Award winning par- movie Parasite, uh, so it's a, so I think that those theaters are in many ways designed to be able to you know not have that revenue coming in and being and being okay. Um, I think it's yeah more in movie theaters where they have to make a profit all the time where it becomes an issue. But uh, yeah, is- support your local independent theater. Please do. It yeah. is getting close to. To the witching hour. The witching hour. About to, about to turn into a pumpkin over here. We're recording this episode late. But you'd late. be the most yes, beautiful pumpkin. Because my friends are the most lovely people, and they waited for me. And like a stone, I will wait for you too. That was a great <laughs> album. <laughs> I've got, I've got one last thing I'd like to put out to everybody else. Give everyone else a chance to talk. Great. About about the actual movie that we were supposed to discuss before we got into. We talked about it. We talked we about did. it. We did. We did. We went right. from eugenics to independent theaters. It was great. <laughs> All right. So, so theory time. Theory time. I want to hear each person's theory on this. Did the horse survive? No. No. I don't. I don't think so. You, there's a shot of the horse where its eyes are all fucked up. It did not survive. To be fair, though, it is running away. Well, near at the very end of things. So did it? So my question would be, like, did it survive, or did it, like, you know, two kilometers away when the th- when the color left, just go, like, implode? I think it imploded. It, it's yeah, dead. I think it's, it's dead fucking too. dead. That yeah. would be my guess. Yes. The only thing that is alive, that was alive on that premises at the end of the film, was Ward. Yeah, because he was smart and didn't drink the water. He was smart, didn't drink the water, went into the booze basement. Yep. Yep. Um, um, the, when the horse... know, there is actually an alternate ending, though, for this movie. Really? Yeah, so what happens is that Ward actually gets on the horse, and then it's oh like, God. goes to be, and then, like, the song Amazing Horse plays, and, uh, and then he say, and, uh, yeah. Okay. I hate that I fell for that. Okay, Dad. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate that I fell for that, but I also love it. <laughs> Did you just call you me You said Dad, it so Dad? convincingly. <laughs> I also say that when the horse, it, when it became obvious that the horse was affected and infected by the color, as someone who's read Berserk, I had a terrible premonition. And I'm glad that terrible <laughs> premonition did not come to pass. Mm, it's true. Horses just freak me out, man. Oh, I've known some very nice horses in my time. <laughs> you know, I've known some well, faithful steeds, and I've invited so, many a way, woman to climb up on it. <laughs> well, no, so all right, all right. So, so context. Don't so, give me fucking horse propaganda. It's midnight. I've known, I've known, I've known a good horse or two. <laughs> so, I spent What's a summer. What's the name of the song? Tristan. I spent a summer working with a family who, you know, family, friends and stuff who owned horses taking care and doing riding lessons and stuff and their horse was named Kokomo and he was a big pile of mush and he would lean into you when you were cleaning his hoofs. 
So you'd be standing next to his horse, you'd have one of his legs up, you'd be cleaning out the hoof, and he would just start leaning into you because he was so happy and just such a such a big lovey dovey boy. That's and what something a horse propagandist would say. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> right before you get kicked in the face. <laughs> <laughs> no, just worry about oh god, oh god, no, no, don't lean into me. You outweigh me by like three t- you're like three times my weight. Oh god. Uh. Tristan. Yes. Where can we find you? Uh, right here on the spoiler cast. You can also find me occasionally at twitch.tv slash the underscore millennialist. Yeah. You can also find, um, oh, sorry, Allie. Yes. Do you wish to find me? We, I, I do wish to find you. <laughs> well, you can't. I'm You'll have to solve it. <laughs> You'll have to solve her terrible riddles, each more fiendish than the last. <laughs> I am also on uh, Twitch at uh, Hey Linda Linda. That's also my Twitter handle. You can also find out more about the things I like at deathblossoms.gg. Mm-hmm. Although I've um, mostly just been a Twitter troll and denizen in the last few months of stay at home. Um, Barra. Uh, so you can find me uh, at Barra Do Now on Twitter, and I sometimes post articles uh, from the newspaper I write for, the Daily Hampshire Gazette. One of the ones you should check out is, is that there was in East Hampton, perhaps from some of that Aquaban uh, water, uh, although I don't think East Hampton gets Aquaban water. Anyways, point is, uh, there was a 52 inch stock of asparagus growing in someone's yard on Saturday. It like not butted out like Uh-oh. it's still like actually like a edible asparagus. It hadn't started to flower yet. So yeah, <laughs> check it out. Uh, that's it's, that's it's a, a warning sign, Barra. Oh, I know. You should. There's pictures too. There's all these little stalks around it, and then one giant spear soaring skyward. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Western Massachusetts. It's a weird and beautiful place. Um, <laughs> it's uh, oh. it's it's great. Uh, that's right. I'd also like to announce that I am now officially on TikTok and have become an official e-boy. You can find me at... Nah, oh, fuck. It's a toxic e-boy. <laughs> oh, no. Is it su- it's super effective. Dun, dun, Not dun, really. Dun, dun, well, you can dun, find dun, this dun, and dun, more dun, of our TikTok. asparagus and horse propaganda on our website, spoilermedia.net. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you actually, you actually also can find both the Twitch streams that were mentioned earlier um, from the homepage there, as well as our website. Uh, or as well, uh, yes, of course you can find our website on our website, as yep. well as our podcast, uh, Midnight Talking, um, which you can subscribe to, uh, listen to on the website, or subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you would listen to podcasts. Yep. You can also look forward to our new series, Spoiler Cast After Dark, wherein That's we right. discuss <laughs> eugenics, <laughs> and other touchy subjects. Yeah, but like the way that's the, the way that was framed, it makes it sound like we're going to be like actual awful people. Because yeah. unfortunately, we live in a world where like actual awful people talk talk about that and don't just say why it's bad. They just actually like it. But no, yeah. we're good people. And Gosh. they are doodabuts. Exactly. Is the most intelligent thing I can say at midnight. At least I love you. They're do claws. The most useless of claws. Tristan, I, I, I love you. And if Dan, you will always have my heart. I'll forgive you for your horse propaganda for now, Tristan, for that good, good joke. Uh, all right. Everybody have a good night. 
everybody, good night, everybody. Good night. Sleep tight. Goodbye. Talk to y'all later. Don't drink water Beautiful from Quabbin Reservoir. Uh, it can't be helped. Peace.